Lord, we sing that not only with anticipation, but with assurance that we will be in your very presence. Amen. Lord, because of what you have done, it's not based on what we do. It's based on the completed work on the cross that you did, that you did for us. Lord, we all, we all look forward to that day when we will be in your very presence. As we sing, dancing on the streets of gold. I can't dance, but I'm going to that day. Yeah. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for that promise that we have. We sing that joyfully, Lord, in great anticipation of that day. Thank you that we have a place where we can gather here together tonight, where we can where we can worship you like this, where we can sing your praises, where we can study your word. And Lord, we just ask your blessing on tonight and that you would meet each one of us right where we are, regardless of the challenges we face or the, the things, Lord, that are even ahead of us this week that we aren't, are, are not even aware of right now. Lord, we pray that you would even prepare us tonight for what lies ahead. Lord, bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please, uh, please grab a seat, and as you do, we're going to take a quick second to pray for a couple of special godly young men. If you were here, um, here a couple, of, come on up, Matthew. If you were here a few, few weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, yeah. these guys were a part of their, their family-led worship up here when Terry and Cindy and their little brother Levi went off to Papua New Guinea. Remember, they sent out there, they're there. Got an email from them uh, yesterday, and just, you know, they're challenged, but being stretched, but God is using them already. Well, Matthew and Caleb, these godly young men are heading off to college, and uh, they're going to be driving out to Southern Illinois. Illinois, Southern Illinois on Friday. Um, God has just blessed these guys and uh, just such great godly young men to be around. Caleb, you might not recognize him because he's usually back there in the cage. Um, we let him out on special occasions <laughs> like this. So, but uh, would you please just an extended handout? Let's pray for these, these young men as they head out. Lord, I thank you for the, the godly example that these young men are. Um, Lord, in a world that we are in today, uh, we need... <laughs> We need more young men like this, Lord, and I pray that you would just protect them and guide them on their travels, um, Lord, that you would use them even along the way uh, as they stop for gas and food, and, and Lord, that they would just uh, shine your light everywhere that they go. Lord, I pray that you use them mightily this year as they're in school and uh, playing baseball and, and all of the things, Lord, that you've, you've gifted them to do, but Lord, that again, that you would be a light through them to this dark world. Uh, Lord, that there will now be many miles between us, but Lord, I thank you for these men and, and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys. All right. All right. Well, one last quick announcement as you're taking out your Bibles and opening them up to 2 Kings. How many of you have heard of the, was the ice bucket challenge? where it was passed around, you know, dumping, and then you'd, you'd get ice water dumped on you, and then you'd challenge three other people, you know, and whatever. Well, we've been challenged as a church for something differently. They're calling it the PD challenge or police department challenge. 
that we go and bless our local police department for all the work that they do for us, protecting us and, and everything, and for provide meals and a couple of things. We got some ideas around for that. So um, uh, we'll be announcing that again this weekend, and then we're going to challenge three other churches to be a part of that. But if you would, if you're interested in being a part of that, cooking something or, or being a part of that, Bob, would you stand up real quick? And Mike, where's Mike? Back there, the, the couple of guys, retired police officers, by the way, thank you guys. But um, they'll be, they're kind of the, the, the two I put in charge of pointing, and they're already recruiting other people to be involved. But if you were interested in being a part of that, see them after the service, please. All right, Second Kings. Find ourselves starting another chapter this evening. I think I mentioned this when we when we started into First Kings. Initially, all of this was written. There wasn't there wasn't a, a, a chapter or a book break here. As a matter of fact, when it was translated into the Greek, the Septuagint, First Second Samuel, First Second Kings were all one. They consider it one book broken out into four: First, Second, Third, Fourth Kings. So basically, we're starting Fourth Kings tonight. Um, but it's the history of of Israel. Through the, through the life of the kings and, and the prophets and that. And we're going to see as we get into Second Kings now the passing of the mantle. We'll see that tonight in chapter 2 from Elijah the prophet to Elisha the prophet. The bulk of Second Kings continues to chronicle for us the, the kings and succession of kings both in, in Israel, the northern ten tribes, and Judah, the southern two tribes. Unfortunately, it's not, a, it's not a happy story along the way. As a matter of fact, as we've said as we're studying through this, Israel, the northern ten, ten tribes, never had a king that was godly and followed the Lord. Not one in, the his, in their entire history. And eventually we will see, as we study through Second Kings, the Lord allows Assyria from the north to come down and to capture them and take them off into captivity. The, the southern two tribes, there are some godly kings, but more ungodly kings than godly kings. And eventually, at the very end of 2 Kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, comes, comes in, destroys Jerusalem, and takes the, the, the tribes of, of Judah, the southern two tribes, away. So it's not a happy ending. I'm sorry to you know, ruin the end of the book for you. but Well, it's not the end of the book, right? We know the end of the book, and that's a great ending, but the end of 2 Kings... As I mentioned, there, there was not a chapter or a book break when it was originally written, so I want to go back into 1 Kings, the end of 1 Kings, verse 51, because it flows right into 2 Kings. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned for two years over Israel. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. Ahab's been the king, as we've studied for several, several weeks now. Killed in battle. Remember last week we looked at that. He tried to disguise himself to go into battle and thinking that you know he could cover all of that. But a, an arrow just shot randomly into the air, hit him, and it killed him. That was prophesied that that was going to happen, if you'll remember. that Before they went into the battle, they, 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 he gathered all of these prophets and said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But they, the king from Judah said, don't you have any godly prophets? And they got one. And the, the godly prophet said, you're going to die. And, and he said, yeah, that's what I, I thought you'd say. And he goes anyway, and he's killed in battle, fulfilling the prophecy of this prophet. He said, if you come back, if you come back alive, the word I said is not from the Lord. But he's killed in battle. That, so Ahab dies, 
his son Ahaziah takes the throne, reigns two years. Notice verse 52. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother, Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. So he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. 2 Kings 1. Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Moab, Moab has been under subjection to Israel all of this time, going back to the time of David. But here now seeing an opportunity to rebel against this, Ahab, uh, a strong military leader at the time, but now seeing this young son of his taking over there, thinking this is a time for us to rebel. We'll see more of that in subsequent chapters. But verse 2, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill or seriously injured in the fall. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness or this, this injury. Now here again we see, now Ahaziah, the son, and it tells us we already looked at at the end there, that he's wicked. He followed in the ways of his father. But I, when I'm looking at that, again, remember back, I just, I, just, I just mentioned this. His father died just recently. The reason he's king is because his father was killed in battle that was predicted by a prophet that said it's going to take place. He no doubt knows who Elijah is. We're going to see that in a, in a few verses. He knows all about Elijah. So he, no doubt he knows all about the the. the the battle on top of Mount Carmel, he knows all of these things, yet his heart is still hard to the things of the Lord. He, after all that he's seen, after all that he's heard, after all that he's witnessed, he still, he says, go inquire of Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, the, go, go to this, this God that has been proven impotent over and over again, that he's, you know, he's no match for Yahweh God. Go inquire of him, see if I'm going to do all right, see if I'm going to make it out of this. Things are falling apart, obviously, for Ahaziah. His father's dead. Moab, that's been fine for a long time, now rebelling. He falls, and instead of going to God after all of this, he still turns to the ways of his father and the ways that he'd been brought up in. And Just ask the question, and I'm assuming rhetorically to the whole room here, where do we turn when things get really tough for us, and I know the easy answer for us, especially when we're in a room full of Christians, is, well, of course, I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to... But we all have to look inside. When things really get tough, when things really get twisted, when things are falling apart, things aren't happening the way that we thought they were going to, is, is that truly where we go first? Or do we go to the world first? Do we pick up the phone? Do we call someone? Do we, do we Google the answer? <laughs> or do we get on our knees open the word of the Lord, say, Lord, you, I, I need to hear from you. Well, he, sends, he says, go to, go to Ekron, go find out what the answer is, go inquire for me. Verse 3, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Is it because... You guys don't have a God? Isn't there, because the true and living God isn't there, you're going to go do this? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up. You shall surely die. 
Then Elijah departed. Elijah is known for his short, brief messages. <laughs> right to the point. It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And here you go. You're not going to get out of bed ever again. You're going to die right in that bed. When the messengers returned to him, he, that being Ahaziah, said to them, Why have you returned? No doubt they just left the city. It's supposed to be a several-day journey there and back, and they come right back. Why are you here? And they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go return to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, it is, because the, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you shall surely not come from your bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He, again, Ahaziah now, said to them, What kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? That is inquiring, what did he look like? They answered him, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins, and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Again, Ahaziah knows, no doubt probably from the words that he heard that it was Elijah, but he just wanted confirmation. And we don't have a whole lot of information about what Elijah looked like, except he was, he was hairy, a hairy man, hairy beyond most because they didn't describe anything else other than what he was wearing. So Elijah, hairy man, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up and behold, he was sitting on the top of the hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. So Ahaziah says, sends out a captain of 50. So this captain and his 50 soldiers, he says, go and get Elijah. And, and no, it, notice it says on top of the hill, and that the is emphatic. So probably, and I, this is just conjecture, but probably Mount Carmel. Probably where he would, you know, that's where they would probably know to find him. And he's sitting up there on the mountain, and here comes this, man, this captain along with his 50. And he says to him, O man of God, and no doubt probably being sarcastic with that, the king says, come down. Elijah replied to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So Jen, just imagine the scene. And based on the fact that we're going to see this repeated, we're going to see that, this in just a second, there's probably some onlookers. Some that are following the 51 saying, ooh, this is going to be good. You know, this Elijah is finally going to get his comeuppance or whatever. And so there, there's probably some following in the distance because word gets back. So this, this comes down. Elijah says, if I am, you're mocking me, if I am a man of God, and if God is truly on my side, may fire come down and consume you. And then wham. Now, I know what you're thinking. That'd be really cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, somebody comes across me, you know, and man, I'm out doing the Lord's work and somebody comes up and says something like that and just to prove to everybody else around, wham, right? No, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's uh, we're, it recorded, you know, it's, it's uh, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, thought it was really cool and a great idea in Luke chapter 9. 
when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, we heard that, that that's what Elijah did, and that sounds really cool. And this, if there's ever a time to do that, it's now, Lord. So you just say the word. He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Sometimes, guys, we have to be really careful that we don't, in an effort to show how on fire we are, that we end up really torching people. It's easy to do, to step on someone or to put them in their place or to really get all over them and, again, to kind of put ourselves in that holy place. That, that pious place, and again, in that process, totally missing the Spirit of God. Totally missing the heart of God in it. Jesus said, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. There was a point for that then, but the point now is that you're mine. That, that, that you're to love that you're to, that you're to, this is, this, it's, it's, it's about grace. And John will eventually get that. Jesus called John, James and John the sons of thunder. <laughs> but John will become known as the apostle of love because he hung around with Jesus. He watched and he followed Jesus and he stuck close to Jesus. He's the one that we see that's, that's leaning against Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, he's the one, he's referred to as the one Jesus loved. He was so close to Jesus. If you struggle in that area of maybe anger, short outbursts towards people, you know, you have a tendency to torch people, <laughs> get close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus, that, so close that you can feel his heartbeat when you're dealing with those. I know in our flesh, like I said, this is really cool, but... You know, what's even cooler is to extend the love of Jesus. Well, so he, verse 11, again, Ahaziah, no doubt, again, word comes back. He, again, sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. He's, gonna, he's really putting his foot down. You come down and you come down now. Elijah replied, if I'm a man of God... Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Verse 13. So he again sent a captain of, the th uh, of a third 50 with his 50. He's not getting it. <laughs> when the third captain of the 50 went up, he came and bowed down. So he is getting it. <laughs> The third captain comes and he bows down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, O man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 and their 50s. 
but now let my life be precious in your sight. Notice, he changed the message completely. He doesn't even say, come with me. He just says, don't kill me. <laughs> don't, it's total, I mean, I, I love the picture of this. Because we see the first two coming in pride and arrogance. And here we see a man coming totally humble. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we've said this before. I've pointed this out a few times, especially when we look at these stories. You know, experience is an awesome teacher. We can learn a lot from mistakes. But guys, it doesn't have to be our experience and our mistakes. We can learn a lot when we see this. And this third captain said, I don't got to learn from, I don't have to go through that to learn anything. I saw that what happened there. I get it. You're, you're a prophet of Yahweh God. And coming humbly now here. So notice verse 15, it says, everything changes now. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. I find that interesting too because nothing else changes. The heart of the king hasn't changed. Nothing else that has taken place to this point has changed other than the heart of the captain and the men that are coming. And so Elijah now feels free to go because the Lord has now said, go. Up until that point, no doubt somewhere in that process, the Lord was telling him, stay, don't go. And until we have a green light from the Lord in a decision that we're making or following the Lord in something, guys, we have to stay put. And I know patience, not one of my long suits, it's one the Lord continues to work with me on. (laughs) But we have to wait and be patient. We'll see as we continue on the weekend studying through the book of Acts. There's a couple of times where Paul felt that he needed to go a certain place for ministry. And it says that the Holy Spirit said no. The Holy Spirit closed the door and would not allow him to go into a particular area. To be obedient. And Elijah, we saw this when we were first introduced to Elijah. A man who heard God. A man who was before God. A man listening and following the direction of God and the Spirit of God. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, it is because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Any question on what happens next? So Ahaziah died, according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And because he had no son, now this is a little confusing, Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Jehoram is Ahaziah's brother, and he's got the same name as a king in the south. Two different guys, same name. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? Chapter 2. It came about, now we're going to switch from looking at the kings here, and we're going to switch gears to Elijah, and Elijah again handing off the mantle of prophet to Elisha. 
And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went to Elisha, went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, we're going to see as we read through this chapter, Elijah knew that he was going to be taken up. Elisha knew that he was going to be taken up. The prophets, the young prophets that are in the school of the prophets knew that Elijah was going to be taken up. They all knew that this was going to happen, and they all knew it was going to happen that day. It's interesting. Is there somehow the Lord has revealed this to them through this process? And they have no other point of reference in all of their scriptures or all of their history other than Enoch. That's somebody that, that didn't die. Enoch, it tells us back in Genesis chapter 5, that Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was not anymore, for the Lord took him. And it's interesting that it tells us here that he, he knows, and they all know that it's going to happen this particular day. And even before we get started into this looking at it, I'm challenged by that because, guys, if we don't die, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to get taken up. Amen. And we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't have, any, we don't have the, the date as Elijah did in his. But what if we did? What if we knew tomorrow the Lord was going to call us all home? Would it, would it change your schedule for tomorrow? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could say no? I'd do everything the same. I'm challenged by that myself. If I knew the Lord was going to come tomorrow, if you knew for sure the Lord was going to come tomorrow, would you go home tonight and change some things at home? Would there be things that you needed to get rid of at home because God's coming? Would you change plans tomorrow? Would there th be things that are different in your life tomorrow because you knew Jesus was calling you home tomorrow? We're going to see as we go through this that Elijah just went about business as usual says that they begin in Gilgal, he and Elisha together. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, stay here in Gilgal, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. In this, and we're going to see this repeated a couple of times as we go, Elijah, on his journey, on his way, he's leaving. He says to Elisha, stay here, because i got to go on. God's going to be, and he said, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving your side. Elisha was a disciple of Elijah's, and he wanted to know everything. He wanted to be a part of it all. He didn't want to miss out on anything that along the way in the process. And his faithfulness as he continues to go through, and we'll see this as we go through the chapter here, he had no agenda. It wasn't about, okay, what's next for me? He's going to get asked a question and he's going to respond, but that's not why he's following Elijah. He's following Elijah because he's all in. When Elijah called him, when we looked at that a couple chapters ago, when Elijah put his mantle on Elisha, what did Elisha do? He was plowing with an ox and had, a, had the, the yoke and the whole thing and plowing along. What did he do? He cut the ox or cut the wood up in a bunch of pieces, cut the ox up in a bunch of pieces and sacrifice. He's got nothing to go back to. He's all in. I'm following you, Elijah, and I am all in. 
And guys, when we make that decision to follow the Lord, that needs to be the way our decision is when we follow the Lord. You've, we sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And Elijah, Elisha is saying to Elijah, I'm not turning back. I'm not even staying here. I am sticking with you. I am hanging with you as, we go, as you go, where you go, I go. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master for, from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, but be still. Basically like, shh, quiet. I know that, but don't talk about it. <laughs> Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know, but be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So retracing some steps, and there's a really cool study. We don't have time to get into that now, but it, you know, Gilgal and the things that took place in the history of Israel at Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho. But here now at the waters of the Jordan, remember where this is where the, the children of Israel crossed and came into the promised land. And here Elijah comes with Elisha and he takes off his mantle and he strikes the water with it. And boom, just like he did when he, the children of Israel came across this way. Now they walk across on dry land. And again, when we look at this and we see with Elijah, we see that or Elisha, I'm sorry, a man committed to whatever God has for him. God called him to this ministry. God called him to be the, the disciple of Elijah as they continue to, as he continues to go. This went on for about 10 years, this discipleship process. And we're going to see as we study the life now of Elisha going forward, very different guy from Elijah. Elijah was kind of a loner. Elijah was kind of off to himself. Elijah was very abrupt and <laughs> to the point. Elijah was a hairy guy. We're going to see Elisha. Kind of like me. But very personal. Very involved with the, the disciples, the, the prophets, the other. And, and, and a very different style of ministry, if you would. But Elisha was never pushing his own agenda because he knew he was called. He knew that this is what God had called him to do. He persevered. He stuck with it. He had resolve. He wasn't going to go away no matter what happened or no matter what. Okay, you probably get, somebody could get offended by what Elijah was saying. Elisha, you stay here. I'm going on. And I, could, I, I know some people that that would offend. What do you mean, stay here? I'm with you. I'm going with you. Get offended with that. No, no. He was called to this. 
It was his calling. The Lord laid that on his heart. I say that, not because not of any of you. You're all here, but probably all know somebody. Man, the Lord has called me to be, come to Calvary Chapel Surprise. Man, I know I'm supposed to be here. The Lord has called me to be a part of this church. And then three weeks later, where are they? Somebody didn't look at them right. Somebody, somebody didn't say something. Oh, man, I, I know I'm, this, is the, this is the area of ministry that God has called me to be in. And, da, 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 and as, we, as things are, are moving along and things don't go right in that and then get all upset and on to something else. And where else are you going? Oh, God's coming here. God's not schizophrenic, guys. <laughs> we need to have a heart like Elisha. He says, Lord, if, if, if God has truly called you, then be obedient and serve where he's called you. God is, you know, things are, things are going to happen. I can promise you, I can promise you, you hang around me long enough, I'm going to do something that's going to make you mad. I'm going to say something that's not going to sit right. I, I promise that. I'd ask for a show of hands, but I don't want to know, really. <laughs> There's going to be people that are going to say something here at the church that are, that's going to bug you. There's going to be somebody that's not going to say hi when you say hi back, and it's not going to be personal, but you're going to take it personal. Guys, we, we're, we're all saved by grace, so let's all extend a bunch of grace. But then, again, let's understand that God, if God has truly called you here, and, and, and I guess what I'm saying is just, we've got to walk this thing together. Staying close to Jesus. I'm not asking you to all stay close to me. Let's all stay close to Jesus. Okay? And where he guides, where he leads. I just, I'm, I'm so challenged by this with this guy, Elisha. What it, we're going to see as we study through, and that, that, I think that's part of it. When we see the ministry that God's going to use him in, it's, it's amazing. But here's a man who just waited until God said next. Until God said, here's what we're doing. Well, verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be on me. Now, at first glance, that sounds like a very, again, prideful thing to say or something to ask for. Man, I've seen the stuff you do. I want to be able to do twice that. But that's not the heart behind it. The heart again behind it is a very humble request. And we're going to see that through the life of Elisha. That I've seen how God has used you. And I've seen how you've honored God in all of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be used, if it's even possible, in even a greater way. But again, a double portion of the, of the spirit that it be upon me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Again, just imagine the scene. I mean, chariot, horses, fire, right between them. It says that Elijah then is taken up 
in a whirlwind. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. There's a, he's, he's grieving over this now. He knew it was coming, but here it is. Here's his, here, he calls him his father. Here's his spiritual father, the one that he's been training under for 10 years, taken away. And again, I, I say that, I want to point that out because he's not being opportunistic. He's like, it's about time. No, he's, he's grieving over this process. He tears his own clothes. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. I like that in that because if he'd have just walked up and just struck the water and just saying, you know, okay, well, it's obviously it's the mantle of Elijah, strike the water. No, it's not the mantle of Elijah. It's the Lord God of Elijah. And the mantle is just purely symbolic. And it's not, it's not now about the method that now it's, you know, you just got to have the right mantle and strike the water and that's how it works. No, it's the Lord God of Elijah. And I like that too in this because this is the first thing now. This has been transferred to it. He's, Elijah told him, if you see it, you got it. <laughs> but here's now something as he, as he does this and, and crying out to the Lord. And he does this and the water parts. This no doubt is going to be a point of reference going forward for Elisha. As he can look back on this, that God was faithful. God, this is what was promised. This is what was said about me. I can look back to this and say, okay, God was faithful then. And as he calls me into even greater things, because he's going to do a whole lot greater things and part the Jordan River. And he can look back on that and say, God is faithful. He struck the waters, divided there, Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sun's of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. They said to him, behold now, there are with you servants, 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. <laughs> These 50 who are watching it from a distance, all going on, said, hey, we got 50 of us, we're young, we're, we're full of energy right now, let us go over real quick and we'll look for Elijah, just in case the Spirit took him up, we saw him go up, but just in case he threw him down on a mountain somewhere or into a valley, and he says, you shall not go. But when they had urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send. Got it to the point where it just wore him out and said, all right. They sent therefore 50 men and they searched three days but did not find them. They, re they returned to him while he was staying at Jericho and said to him, Did I not say to you, do not go? Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant, but as my Lord, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. 
he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from their death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Now I want to come back to that and finish on that. But So let's look at these next verses real quickly. Verse 23. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up, the young, going up the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them. And in the, na- in the name of the Lord, two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. He went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Now, anybody have a King James Version? What does it say in verse 23 about young, instead of young lads? Okay. New, well, it's, it makes it sound like they're little kids, like little school kids that are coming out, you know, mocking, you know, little third and fourth graders, you know, hey, baldy, hey, baldy. That's not what it is. Not at all. Don't get any kind of weird, grim nursery rhymes in your head. First Kings chapter 12, verse 8 says, when we're talking about you know, Rehoboam and, the, and his son Jeroboam, the, the son that came into King Rehoboam then, remember the Solomon's son, and they were asking him, and it, it says, he forsook the counsel of the elders that they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served with him. Same phrase. So this is young men that have come out, and they're mocking Elisha. They're, they're coming against him, it's, there's quite a large number because 42 of them are dealt with. That doesn't mean that all of them were. I mean, there's a large number of them that are there. And mocking him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Wondering if maybe talking about, you know, if, if this is so special. Word probably got there of what had taken place with Elijah. These are not, these are not followers of Yahweh. These are idol worshipers that are coming out. And so he, it says he curses them. That means he put a curse on them. And two female bears come out of the woods and tore up 42 of them. So, lesson, don't make fun of bald people. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, in this, it, it says that he, you know, they, they tore them up and, and 42. It doesn't say that they, were, that they were killed. Could be, but it doesn't, you know. But if they, if they weren't, they were left from, with some reminders <laughs> about this episode. But I want to go back now and finish in just a couple of minutes. I'd hoped we had a little more time with this. But verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said to them, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went to the spring of water, threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I've purified these waters. There shall not be from here death or unfruitfulness any, wa- any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And I just, this is, to me, this is so cool to put on personal application. Because, I don't know about you, but when I look around surprise, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant place to look at and to see. But, the underlying current is bad. There's, there is bad stuff in this city. There's a lot of people that are 
that are dying and going to hell. There's a lot of people that don't know the Lord. There's a lot of infection in the city. There's a lot of unfruitfulness in the city. And I love this, and I guess this is just what put it on my heart. Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. Put salt in it. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, speaking to us today, right here, right now, as Christians, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Now, when the world looks at that and they think salt of the earth, they think that that means that somebody's dependable or decent, you know, or whatever. But that's not what Jesus meant. You're the salt of the earth. As a matter of fact, it's emphatic. It's, it's, it's not a commandment to become salt. He says you are salt. And the way it's structured, and what Jesus says, you alone are salt. There's no plan B. Guys, it's us. It's up to us. And what is salt? Salt's a preservative. It keeps things from rotting. When the church is taken out, guys, it's going to get worse than it is now. <laughs> salt is an antiseptic. Something that's septic means it's putrid, it's rotting, you know, away. Salt is an antiseptic. Salt is used to flavor our food, right? But what makes salt work when we, to put it on our food? If we put salt on your eggs in the morning, you don't put egg-flavored flavoring on your eggs, right? You put salt on your eggs because salt is distinct. Salt is effective when it's put on your eggs because it's distinct, because it's different. We can't, we can't reach the world by being like the world. We talked about this weekend. Remember the two ditches on the two sides of the road this weekend? We can't get in the ditch over here. That means we become like the world. Because what the world needs, what surprise needs, is not a Christian flavor on what they already have. They need something totally different. They need Jesus, period. And we're called to do that. Salt. I love the... the that, you know when you go to a movie theater and you buy the popcorn? You, you ever wonder why the popcorn is so much less expensive than the soda? It's a reason. Because the, so, the popcorn is going to make you really thirsty. <laughs> Salt makes you thirsty. So you're going to go buy the $17 soda. <laughs> Guys, if we're effective in being salt, we're going to make surprise thirsty for the only thing that can satisfy them and that's the living water and again i love the the picture the imagery here jesus goes on you're the salt of the earth you're the light of the world he said the and the light of the world it doesn't you know we're a city on a hill you don't put the light under a bushel you you put it up so that it could be seen a light again Light has absolute power over darkness. When you have a dark room and you turn on the light, what happens? <laughs> the light overtakes the darkness. The darkness doesn't overtake the light. And we're, we're called to be, again, same thing. Not to become light. It's not a commandment to become light. We can't do that. Because you are. You are the light of the world. 
and you are the only light. That's, there's not another, again, not, not a plan B. We're it. <laughs> Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. We've got to do it before men. It's cool to shine in here, but it's far more effective in what God wants it to do is we shine out there. And he says, let it shine. Let it shine. How much work does it take to let it shine? <laughs> it's not work. We let it happen. The, we're not, again, we don't produce the light, right? We reflect the light. We're not the light producers. We're the light reflectors, just like the moon. The moon doesn't produce light. The moon reflects the light of the sun. And if we go out tonight and it's a clear night and we could see the moon and we can't, what's the problem? The world's gotten in the way. The same is true with us most of the time, right? If we're out there and we're not shining like we should, it's because too much of the world's gotten in the way. I want to spend a whole lot more time on that, but we're out of time. But guys, that's, I, I'm challenged by that. I'm challenged by that. We live in a great city, but God's got a greater work for us to do in this city. We're to be the salt, the light, because, just as like Elisha said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He's still alive. He lives, he rules, he reigns. He just wants to be, he wants us to be saying, all right, Lord, use me, just like Elisha. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? I'm following him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an example like Elisha, a man who, called by you, responded to that call, was obedient to that call, persevered. Lord, we want to be more like that. Willing to be used by you in whatever way. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. None of, us are, none of us live in Surprise, Arizona by chance. None of us live in the places that we do randomly. Lord, you've called us all to be here for a very specific purpose. And so, Lord, we want to be about that purpose and about that business. We want to hear from you clearly, and we want to be obedient as you call and lead and guide and direct. So fill us with your spirit, Lord. If there's areas of the world Areas of our flesh that have gotten in the way, Lord, we want to deal with that. We want to deal with it right here, right now. Reveal those things to us. Lord, we want to be that city on a hill. We want to be that light that shines. And as the world gets darker and darker, Lord, we understand that our light will shine brighter and brighter. Lord, we want to be the salt that preserves, that makes people thirsty for you. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Go before us now as we head out to the rest of the week. We thank you and we praise you for who you are and all that we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.